Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You may not always like his opinion, but you can bet he'll have one. Welcome to The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. You know what vacations are like. They start and they're over. They start and immediately they're over. Thanks to Alex Pearson for sitting in last weekend. Alex, I'm sure, did a terrific job. She's such a skilled broadcaster and just a terrific person as well. So thank you, Alex. Heard a lot about the Prime Minister and his visit at the, um, the mosque in Ottawa. We're going to be talking about that a little later on with Catherine, Linda, and Michelle and our Beauties on the Beast segment. And then tomorrow we'll have more discussion when we're joined by Dr. Zudi Jasser and Asra Nomani. Both of them are Muslims and uh, founders of the American Islamic Center for Democracy, Forum for Democracy. Neither one of them is particularly impressed with Mr. Trudeau's visit. And um, the whole idea of gender separation and three members of parliament women, liberal members of parliament, having to enter the mosque by the side door. Well, that should be problematic for Mr. Trudeau, who's declared himself a feminist, but also then spoke about the sisters upstairs. And we're going to talk about this tomorrow and a little bit later on today with the Catherine, Linda, and Michelle. Dr. Kelly Leach continues to make headlines. Conservative member of parliament former member of the cabinet of Stephen Harper, with her suggestion that if she becomes the leader of the Conservative Party, she will put in place a policy that will require newcomers to Canada to show that they uh, accept Canadian values or challenge Canadian values. And for some reason, this is troubling Conservatives. Brian Mulroney speaking out against it. Kevin O'Leary says as far as he's concerned, um, Dr. Leach is, I don't know what the word was he used, but essentially irrelevant. I don't think so. I think it's a an important debate issue. Something to be talked about. And we will. Tony Clement is going to be with us as well tomorrow. Same hour as Dr. Leach. And Tony Clement is uh, running for the leadership of the Conservative Party and generating a lot of activity and talk because he's saying that anyone who's suspected of being a potential terrorist and cannot be monitored by security personnel because there aren't enough of them, they should be jailed. And that's got people up in arms. Now, what bothers me about all of this business with uh, with the Conservatives arguing against Kelly Leach and Tony Clement, is these are the same people, by and large, who last September, heading into the election campaign, or heading into the vote, in the middle of the election campaign, were siding with their own party's demand 
that a Muslim woman who was going to swear allegiance to Canada to take the oath of citizenship shouldn't be wearing a niqab when she does that. They were all signing on to that. Now suddenly, many of them are saying, no, we want the new Conservative Party. Is it about getting elected or is it about standing for uh, something that you believe in and either being elected on that or being defeated on it? You have to take a position. You have to have something that people can either agree with or disagree with, vote for you or vote against you. Can't everybody be in the same spot politically? The Swiss, in their national referendum process, voted by majority to put an end to what they said was massive immigration. That's the term, massive immigration or mass immigration. The European Union is unhappy with that which is not at all troubling to Luzi Stamm, the vice president of the Swiss People's Party. They're the ones who brought the initiative forward before the people of Switzerland. And uh, he says the people of Switzerland and Switzerland should have the right to control its own immigration. He'll be joining us tomorrow from Switzerland. And after I speak with him, you can tell me whether what the Swiss have decided is racist or whether it's sensible. I'm not going to shy away from issues on this program simply because other people shy away from talking about issues which matter. English and French, the official languages of Canada, does it matter anymore? Next hour, we'll talk to a Vancouver condo owner whose board has decided, voted, that all of their dialogue at board meetings is going to be in Mandarin and not in English. And that, they say, is because for a majority of the board members, Mandarin is the first language, and that's more convenient to them, and it also fits in, they say, with multiculturalism in Canada. Andreas Cargood disagrees. He's gone to the Human Rights Tribunal in British Columbia arguing his case, and they've accepted to, to hear what he has to say. We'll hear what he has to say, and then I'll ask you to tell me whether you think that official languages even matter. Seriously, do they matter? Does English matter? Does French matter? We'll ask you. And then there's this story. There's a lot we're going to cover this weekend, more than, more than I've been able to tell you about now. Convicted sex offender and former hockey coach Graham James is granted full parole for most Canadians. I don't think most of us would have a concern if Mr. James were incarcerated for the rest of his miserable life. But he's, uh, he's going to have full parole, and there will be few restrictions on him. And there have been lots of media reports saying that after that it's over. There's no more controls on him. That is not the case, says Scott Newark, former Alberta Crown attorney, former head of the Office for Victims of Crime for the province of Ontario, and the past senior policy advisor to the federal minister for public safety. Scott Newark joins me on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. First of all, Scott. This guy getting out just rubs people the wrong way. So let me ask you, is how, how far have we come from the days you and I spoke about Joseph Fredericks being released as a sadomasochistic homicidal pedophile, and they then targeted 12-year-old Christopher Stevenson, who he held for a weekend and murdered? Uh, how far have we come from those days in the early 90s to today when a Graham James is paroled what progress have we made? I, I think actually we've made uh, significant progress, and unfortunately, 
most of it has come from the horrible lessons of cases like the one that you decided with Joe Fredericks. I mean, that that case, uh, there was actually an inquest into uh, the circumstances of it. That case led to, uh, for example, and it's what the, as you, as you mentioned, a lot of the media didn't seem to realize. I read a CBC story that was, you know, moaning about sort of, oh, there's nothing we can do. Uh, actually, we changed the law back in the mid-'90s. We now have what's called Section 810.1, so that uh, even if somebody is passed when their warrant, their, their sentence expires, we have lawful authority to put them under restrictions, which is virtually identical to the conditions of a parole, or even including electronic monitoring. Um, and if they breach the conditions of those parole, that of itself is a criminal offense. That is, in my opinion, an underutilized tool. Um, governments have not provided the funding, for example, for uh, the, to use uh, electronic monitoring. It's starting to get used more, though. You're, you're hearing about it in, for example, in peace bond situations uh, for uh, terrorism charges. Uh, and it's, it's that specialized kind of an order. It started, first of all, though, with the case that, uh, that you're describing with Joe Fredericks, with this uh, sex offender um, circumstances, because in the old days, as you know, we literally had to wait for another victim before the state could do something, and that's just simply not good enough. That also applies for uh, for Graham uh, James. If he is determined still to be a risk, the Crown can bring an application to have this kind of an order put on him. i got to tell you, though, I think it is unlikely that that will be the case, and I don't disagree with the, you know, the general disgust and aversion that most people have that you describe for a guy like this. But his are unlike unlike um, uh, Joe Fredericks or unlike you know another terrible uh, repeat offender uh, Peter Whitmore. All of Graham James's uh, convictions were for historical offenses. In other words, he was not a reoffender after he'd been released, where he was continuing his behaviors, and that's a significant difference. It's why he received a fixed sentence, I suspect, and not an indeterminate sentence. Although. You know, this is Canada. You know, people say, oh, you know, if he was declared a dangerous offender, he'd be locked up indefinitely. Actually, he's eligible for parole in seven years. So you've got to understand the workings of the system. But as I say, these 810 orders, 810.1 orders are a significant improvement. We also created something called long-term offender orders, which are if somebody, they don't meet the dangerous offender uh, criteria, but they get a fixed sentence plus supervision of up to 10 years. We changed the rules, and it actually, a big part of it was because of Graham James. People like him are no longer eligible for pardons. If you remember, that's uh, where his uh, case first got attention was when people realized that he was actually had applied for and received a, uh, a pardon. Exactly. We now have laws that permit a court to delay parole eligibility. The normal eligibility is at one-third. They can delay it uh, up to uh, one-half. That was obviously not done in this case. Uh, we've got vastly, vastly increased victims' rights, where victims are uh, able to go and uh, testify at, at, at a parole hearing, uh, give a submission to receive information about the offender. Back in the old days when you and I started this, if you remember, nobody was allowed to attend. Right? You weren't allowed. It was all sort of just between yeah. the, uh, the well, Board Correctional Service of Canada and the offender. We managed to get that changed. The Victim's Bill of Rights that uh, Peter McKay, when he was the Justice Minister, brought in has expanded that as well, too. Yeah. Police are now using specialized targeted units on high-risk repeat offenders kind of thing. As I say, we allow electronic monitoring now on this kind of stuff. So we've made significant uh, improvements. This guy's case, because of the notoriety, I think, has caught 
sort of attention to it. Well, and Scott, and, yeah. right, and rightly so, because without notoriety, without cases right. of notoriety become, coming to the public attention, there's going to be a lot of under-the-radar activity, which I think is significantly dangerous to the people of Canada. I have to take a break, but then when we come yeah. back, I, I want to ask you what it still seems to me to be uh, an official eagerness to release certain people into the general population in this country, specifically the likes of Graham James, an official eagerness to get them out. It used to be 50% in, 50% out. That was the policy of Correctional Service Canada. We'll talk more to Scott Newark about this. When we come back, as Graham James will enjoy his freedom and parole in this country. Stay with us. Roy won't take no or no comment sitting down. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. I'm on Twitter at the Roy Green Show. At the Roy Green Show. Follow me on Twitter at the Roy Green Show. Emails to Roy. At RoyGreenShow.com, Graham James, sex offender, paroled. And Scott Neerick joins me, former Crown Attorney in Alberta, former head of the Office for Victims of Crime in the province of Ontario, Sheldon Kennedy Scott, Theo Fleury, two individuals who are victims of repeat victims, serial victims of Graham James, strongly object to James being paroled um, every week, in this country, sex offenders are released somewhere, somewhere. Most of them don't have the, as I've said earlier, the significant public profile that Graham James has. Does our system still have too much of an emphasis on releasing these individuals? Do we keep track of their recidivism rate? And you mentioned the importance of victims in today's criminal justice system. I certainly hope it's more than it used to be. So why wouldn't the concerns and the, and, the, and the worries and the objections of Sheldon Kennedy and Theo Fleury echo more strongly within the halls of bureaucracy? Well, you've you got to appreciate, though, that the, uh, uh, the framework in which these decisions are made is, you know, first of all, that there is an eligibility at one-third of the court-imposed sentence. And they look at a list of principles. That's one of the other changes, by the way. If you remember, Roy, it used to be one of the principles that was buried inside the legislation was that the person should be subject to the least restrictive form of custody. And that was often used to say, oh, we have to release them. The conservatives uh, repealed that section, and they made public safety the priority about it. But um, one of the things that I found so, fr- so frequently about this, and whether it was dealing with, remember the faint hope clause where you got out early on first-degree murder? It was well, the, the opportunity. trail that so many people felt when they suddenly found out that there was, you know, we had a say one thing, do another justice system, where somebody supposedly got a sentence, but then you found out, oh, actually he's eligible for parole, and the sentence you thought he got wasn't the real sentence. There is a that that's why giving information to victims is such an important. But does, Scott, does the system still have this enthusiasm for letting individuals, who clearly, to most of us, would considered uh, still to be a threat, does the system still have an enthusiasm for letting them out? What we consider to be early, like well, Graham James. Um, you remember the guy we talked about about a month ago out in Calgary? The guy's uh, his last name was Perron. He was a high, deemed a high risk to reoffend, and they released him anyway. And then the Calgary police had to rearrest him. One of the things that concerns me 
with the with the new government about this is not that there's been any change in laws, but exactly what you're talking about, which is that culture. We used to even actually it wasn't it wasn't me. It was a correctional officer testifying one time. He referred to it as it was known as quote GTO, which meant get them out. And it's that culture that I am concerned may be creeping back into the corrections and parole system because there's a perception that there's a, a new government with different values. And if that is the case, or even on all of these kinds of cases, it's a point you made just before the break that is so important, which is that what we need to do is to be able to confront the realities of what is actually going on and to challenge those based on facts. And that's why, again, to go to a point that you made, I'm so glad to hear that you've got uh, Kelly Leach coming on your, uh, your program tomorrow, because that is, from my perception, that is exactly what she is doing in relation to this issue about who it is exactly that's coming into Canada. And when she speaks of Canadian values, I don't think she's talking about eating maple syrup or watching hockey games. It's instead about protecting against violence against women and girls and forced marriages and child brides and everything else. And she is demonstrating, I think, at least the willingness in the kind of way that you and I have talked about for years about the criminal justice system, the willingness to confront the issue and to have that discussion and to make debates. And contrary to, the, to a lot of the other people that you described, you know, and for example, like uh, Tony Clement and Michael Chong, who prefer to look the other way, she's demonstrating, ladies and gentlemen, what I would call the, there's a word for it, it's called leadership. And that is exactly well, what we need, both in the issues she's talking about and on an ongoing basis in criminal okay, justice. Okay, so would it have been leadership had Graham James been kept in prison beyond the time that he's being kept in prison? I period. don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't at the hearing, so I don't know the factors. As what I've read in the media is that, look, he's a pedophile. He's not going to wake up and not be a pedophile. Right. But he's actually taken um, steps to control his behavior. Well, okay? Scott, you know, I my concern is, is of course... The concerns that's expressed by Theo Fleury and um, and Sheldon Kennedy and others, and that is, he is what he is, and Correct. he's not going to change, and that's that's just really significantly worrisome. If we if we if we if we keep close monitoring of of him, there may be an argument be made to, to let him out, but I'm I'm still not there. Scott, well, thanks for the time. I agree with you as well too. Okay, thanks, Scott. Right, Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney in Alberta. I just, there's no way I'm comfortable with Graham James being out in Canadian society. No matter what he says, no matter what they say, the bureaucrats and the prison officials and the parole officials, his history is who he is. Now, when we come back, it's been an incredible week in American politics. And in national polling, and in some significant national polling, Donald Trump is pulling ahead of Hillary Clinton. Fran Coombs is going to be with us, the managing editor of Rasmussen Polling, when we return. And uh, Fran's national poll, Rasmussen's national poll, is one of them that has Trump ahead. Stay with us.